two titans of world wrestling entertainment and one of the greatest lopsided feuds of all time that we desperately needed to talk about on another edition of TDT's classic series on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the week when you get your wrestling fix from the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. It's your boy, Boss Ross, rejoined by Don Jorge, the J-Man, the guru of our social media pages. Seriously, like most of what you do goes completely unheralded, even by me, because it, it is a, it is time consuming as I will soon find out. That being said, TDT's Classic Series, we we did a ton of them in 2020 for very good reason, because, uh, well, we wanted to switch things up anyway, because weekly programming was just kind of weird for a while. In fact, I remember the days when I thought, I was like, what is this Raw Underground, and why is it on my television? There were other days where I was like, where are all the A-plus talent that's walking around. Oh, wait, no one's reacting to them because there's no fans. I'm on a tangent and I don't care because I'm excited to do the show. We've thought about doing this show for a very long time because as I was stepping into the fact of talking about TDT's classic series, when the Don brought it up as an idea, I was like, oh, this has legs because there's like a bazillion possibilities we could do. And so we, we wrote them all out. We had a bunch of ideas on paper. And then one day we looked at our schedule and we went, man, there's a lot of good classic series that we just don't have time to do right now in amongst, you know, guest appearances, you know, guest shows, pay-per-view preview and prediction shows, review shows, whatever the case may be. So we knew there was going to be a lot left on the table. Boy, howdy. If you've been waiting for this one for a while, well, it's here because on tonight's edition of the Double Turn Podcast's classic series, Triple H versus Batista. That's right. The Blue Blood versus Deacon Batista. (laughs) Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Big Dave. Uh, What was... um, I'm I'm trying to think of another name he went by. Oh, wasn't it Terra Rising? Wasn't that Triple H or was that Edge? No, that was Triple H. Okay. Terra Rising, yeah. Terra Rising versus Leviathan. That's a good one. That's a good one. Or or just uh, Paul Levesque versus Dave, 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 Dave. Big Dave. Big Dave Batista versus your boy Triple H. This time, not having his golden shovel present. Thank God. Before we dive into this glorious feud, which, uh, well, catapulted at least one half of really an entire era of wrestling that uh, is actually almost at its end, unfortunately, uh, because most of the main players that were in that era have essentially come and gone or 
they're really part-time players at this point. Um, so before we dive into the three matches we're going to talk about with Triple H and Batista, this is the Double Turn Podcast. You can find us on wabam.com. That's W-O-B-A-M.com. Yes, W-O-B-A-M.com. You can find us there. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the regular spots. You can check this episode out. Uh, and, well, you can check us out uh, for any of our episodes, but that is where you can find our content there. So before we dive in, as I always do, because you were not here last week, I flew solo last week doing the review show in which we both went undefeated in our pay-per-view picks for Backlash, since I refused to call it by the name they called it. J-Man, how are you, sir? I'm doing okay. I'm doing great. It's good to see you. I'm sorry I was unable to attend last week. It was a hellacious week at work. Um, and I was, you know, put in like 57 hours last week, just at my normal job. That doesn't include the uh, weekend job that I do. And that doesn't include this podcast. So just imagine I was dead. <laughs> but it is good to be back. It's great to see you. I am very excited uh, for this particular show for a multitude of reasons. Um, and we will be sharing some news at the end, of course. Uh, just really quickly to clarify, and, and I don't want it to be that I'm uh, correcting you, Ross, but I do, I do want to make sure that the audience get this gets this right. It's wabamentertainment.com. Wabamentertainment.com. No, no, excuse me. Yeah, no, uh, it's actually, all good. No, no, actually, that is news to me because uh, that's actually how we've been talking about it the last few weeks. Yep, and that's my um, bad. No, no, uh, that is that is a clarification. So let's let's make sure we get that right for everybody, and want to make sure that uh, our sponsor has that right as well. Wabamentertainment.com. It's still spelled W-O-B-A-M. That is correct. Yes, and then entertainment. No spaces, no anything like that in the middle of that. So W-O-B-A-M, entertainment.com. Search for us, podcast, The Double Turn. Are we, yes. uh, are, we, are we still the only wrestling content? We are still the only wrestling content. The cool thing is they've, they've got a couple of their own uh, writers on staff that are also some pretty big uh, some pretty big wrestling fans, besides, of course, our, our homie, um, the Thunderous Wizard. So, uh, you know, maybe Excellent. perhaps in the fall time, uh, we could go ahead and perhaps have a couple more people come on and talk about their love for wrestling and, you know, play around with it some more, by the way, speaking of, uh, our buddy, the thunderous wizard, go check him out. Cause he's always repping us every single week over there. Um, we have a little 30 second spot on their show that airs every single time they do an episode. And we are very appreciative of that. He does that for us. So shout out to, to TW, shout out to cash, shout out to Chumzilla. Shout out to Hops and Box Office Flops. We're actually going to be on there in a couple weeks' time uh, talking the rundown uh, as part of their Hops and Rock Hard Flops series that they're doing based on, unfortunately, the lesser of the Rocks movies. Uh, they just did Baywatch. Um, they're going to be doing Doom, Walking Tall, and then they're going to go ahead and round it up with us talking the rundown. So that'll be a lot of fun in a couple weeks. Wait, okay, so they did... They did Baywatch. They just Doom, did Baywatch. Walking Tall and the Rundown. Is that what they're doing? And, and Doom. Right. No, and Doom. Okay. Yep. So uh, Baywatch was terrible. Yep. Like, like total missed opportunity for that to be like a campy, cheesy, just 
remake with updated cast and an updated time total mess doom i have a soft spot in my heart for for a multitude of reasons so i actually give that movie a pass okay regardless of how terrible it is um and walking tall is uh... walking tall remake is probably one of the best things the rock's ever done i agree with you i actually like walking tall i i, I really do for a variety of different reasons right. okay. and I, I i will t- we'll talk about it when we do the show with them mm-hmm. but i'm not kidding when i say the rundown is easily one of the rock's best movies he's ever made and it hurts me that that movie was a box office bomb that is trash because that movie is legit one of his best movies he's ever made it's uh, so good. I don't want to get into a tangent even more than we already have. Did you ever see the movie Gridiron Gang with the Rock? I did. I did. It's not bad. It's actually not bad with the with the premise they have. Anyway, yes. The Rock is awesome. The he Rock is, is of awesome. course. He he is of course. Uh, well, I mean, he is the great one. Yes, he is. And he's been um, featured and, uh, on our TDT's classic series numerous times, s- as several he should. times, including one of the uh, participants that we're going to talk about tonight. Correct. Your boy Triple H. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so uh this feud um was one that we didn't do right away. And I think I know why, because when we thought of this idea, we thought of feuds that maybe were more recent, um, that were maybe fresher on the mind of wrestling fans or maybe more relevant in the last decade or five years or whatever um because and actually maybe you can refresh my memory was our first tdt's classic series aj and john cena yes it was our very first one was aj versus john and the second one happened to be triple h versus the rock okay so again we kind of tried to mix things up as we went. We also tried to not do similar people like multiple shows in a row. So like if we did a triple H show, we wanted to make sure we didn't do another, another triple H show right afterwards or one with Cena or styles or the rock or anything like that. So we finally come across and we're thinking of another idea to to do for a show. And we're like, uh, why haven't we done Dave versus Triple H? We, we both look at each other and go, well, that's another show. Because, <laughs> of course, we had talked about it. It just it just didn't happen. Uh, so the three matches we are going to talk about, I know we've been talking a lot, but, well, only one of us was on the show last week. Not a criticism, just for the fact that I really haven't seen this guy or talked to him uh, that much in, uh, hey, uh, in the quick, last like, I missed days, you, buddy. So. It, it's great. I, if I haven't said it already, I, I, it's good to see you. Indeed, indeed. Um, so, um, the match, unfortunately, that we are not going to talk about on this show was the last match that Triple H and Batista had, which, uh, correct me, which WrestleMania was that at? Uh, WrestleMania 35, 2019 okay. in Jersey, which, by so, the way, that match uh, also underappreciated. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, it still has one of the best lines used in a promo of all time where evolution all comes out. Dave is glad handing every person in the ring. He is putting over triple H like nobody's business. And then at the end says he's accomplished just about everything in this business, except beat me flair, like 
Flair basically half died in the ring. Orton like could not stop laughing because he was like, he got you. And Triple H is literally just sitting there going, tell me he did not just literally he pulled a Booker T without saying it. He was like, tell me he did not just say that. Tell me he did not just say that. I miss Booker T. One of these days we need to do a show involving Booker T the five time. And I repeat five time WCW champion. Too many, too many shows have happened where he's not been mentioned. Another just anyway, I could. Well, go on. we did. We have included him when we did the best Survivor Series matches of all time because he was in what we both consider to be the best Survivor Series match of all time, which is of course the uh, the Alliance versus Team WWF. Uh, and by the way, it is a travesty that he got eliminated so early in that match. It's stupid. Yeah. Well, the entire point is that Booker T is not talked about enough. Uh, on this show and actually in WWE in general. Um, so I just put that in there. So um, so we are not including the WrestleMania 35 match, even though it is an underappreciated match. Um, and of course, Triple H just had to get his win back after these three matches. <sighs> but, always say that. It was Batista's call. <laughs> oh, I know. And that was a bad call oh, anyway <laughs> anyway the three matches we're going to talk about because we do talk about them in chronological order on this show so i'll just announce them are the three matches everybody thinks that we're going to talk about which is wrestlemania 21 uh which was the which was the main event of that show uh for the world heavyweight championship which by the way it was back in 2005 where the world heavyweight championship was considered the top dog belt because it was the belt on raw uh because raw was and still at some levels still is the a show uh, we are also talking about their rematch which happened at backlash the following month and then this was the weird time for wwe where they did brand specific pay-per-views so after wrestlemania was backlash which was a raw pay-per-view then there was Judgment Day, which was a SmackDown pay-per-view. Then ECW One Night Stand happened. And then we have Vengeance, which would take place in June of that year, uh, that ended up being the Hell in a Cell match uh, that was the, uh, the finale to the feud between Triple H and batista so there's two things that i want to bring up really quickly first of all this is the second time that you know, on this show that we'll be discussing Russell, um excuse me not only wrestlemania 21 but also vengeance 2005 because we did talk Shawn michaels versus kurt angle a few months ago so that's very interesting that we are going back to this paper both of those pay-per-views very fun um secondly uh you mentioned the fact that this was during a quote-unquote weird time where wwe was doing brand specific pay-per-views i really like that um, it gave the opportunity for a lot more talent to be on television. I always loved the, 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 the break off of Raw and SmackDown. Um, I didn't, you know, I mean, do I like when they intertwine? Absolutely. But I also like it when not necessarily they're on two different levels because they weren't. Well, I mean, they technically were, yes. But I, I don't want it to be happening in two different parallel, in two different universes. But I like that things are happening over here and different things are happening over here and that there was actual competition, especially when November arrived. So I actually enjoyed that. 
um, first of all. And there was one additional thing that I wanted to add. Oh, you said that to an extent, Raw is the is the is the top dog show. Um, I will disagree on that because right now, at least right now, Ross, right at this moment, I would happen to say wherever Roman Reigns is at is the top dog show. And because that is SmackDown, I think that at this moment in time on May the 25th, SmackDown to me is the A show because he's carrying the top belt on that show. Would you agree or? So I guess for me, it's back to, because there have been times where I've thought SmackDown was the A show and you're probably right to an extent because SmackDown is on Fox and they have the one guy that's actually moving the needle for the company. I just mentioned it because when most people think WWE, they think of Monday Night Raw. They still think of Monday Night Raw. Of course, that makes total so, sense. Um, I just, and you're right, by the way, Roman is absolutely still moving the needle. I mean, that man is getting Fox $2 million every Friday, no problem. So and if it's not, it's like 1.8. So just to, just to piggyback off what you were saying with the brand-specific pay-per-views. So uh, when was the very first draft... Oh, uh, two, right after Mania. Okay, right? so the concept was that they had so much talent on their roster that in order to showcase all the talent they had on the roster, they had to essentially have two different shows with two different sets of talents, storylines, and then they would come together for the major pay-per-views, which I'm still okay with because that's the case the problem is when you negate the brands meaning anything when you negate the draft meaning anything because all you're doing is basically moving half your talent from one show to another show and when you don't keep things separate it loses the whole concept of the idea during this time period it was absolutely still working The problem is you could see that WWE would almost intentionally front load one show, that being Raw, or they would put more of the star power on Raw and SmackDown would kind of be... So so for the longest time, Raw was the entertainment show and SmackDown was the wrestling show. Kind of funny how that works out now that NXT's the wrestling show and SmackDown and Raw are the entertainment shows. Kind of funny how that works, isn't it? It, it is very funny. Um, and they did when when they first redid the brand splits. And I don't want to get into too much of this because I do want to get into Trips versus Batista here in just a second. But you brought this up, and I think you're absolutely right. When they went ahead and redid the brand split back in 2016. It was because NXT was still viewed as developmental, right? It wasn't that third brand yet, even though there was fire stuff going on over in NXT in 2016. And there was some fire stuff happening in NXT in 2016. Um, SmackDown was, you know, viewed as the land of opportunity. And it was everybody was excited to go ahead and, oh, SmackDown's going to be back to the wrestling show. That's the, that's the show that we want to go ahead and see. And by the way, Ross, if, correct me if I'm wrong. For like the first five months of that brand split in 2016, SmackDown was exactly that because you because what SmackDown did and where they hit the jackpot was they took feuds that were happening in WWE 
and they kept them going on their respective shows, i.e. John Cena versus AJ Styles on SmackDown, right? And um, Seth Rollins with, with the Universal title and with Roman Reigns over on Monday Night Raw. And then, you know, having Seth Rollins turn babyface with the whole feud with Triple H um, and Dino being over on SmackDown with the WWE Championship, getting away from Roman and Seth. Yeah. And for the first five months, SmackDown was almost on an actual equal footing with Raw. And then WrestleMania 33 happened, and they messed up a couple things. They did Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton for the WWE title, and that no disrespect to the gender, my homie, but as soon as they put the WWE Championship on Jinder Mahal, things started to kind of like get a little bit shaky for about six months. And it's not gender's fault. It's just gender got pushed up to a level and gender delivered, but WWE didn't deliver on their promise of making it as good as it could possibly be. And, you know, from that point on. Yeah. So, so I'll, I, I'll just, I'll just kind of put a, put a bow on this. The other main thing that I enjoyed about, separating out the shows like this is you let storylines breathe more i've said this before the wwe has an opportunity to break away from not having to do pay-per-views every month or doing different sets of shows instead of just saying well it's this month we have to do this pay-per-view um they killed their own pay-per-view business so they can kind of do what they want and so what what you're going to see here is you're going to see the evolution of a feud that kind of needed some time to breathe. And as we go through the three matches, you'll see what I'm talking about. So Triple H and Batista, of course, this started back when they were uh, teammates in a group called Evolution that, uh, man, they ran roughshod for like two years something like that um of course it started out with uh triple h randy orton and rick flair um the they had an idea for who the fourth member was going to be at first originally it was going to be mark jendrak a guy coming over from wcw they decided that was not the call so they decided to go with the guy that was down in ovw in that heralded class down in OVW, by the name of Dave Batista. He was Deacon Batista with the Reverend Devon, and uh, he was also doing a couple other things, but then one day he just showed up and started being a heavy hitter for Triple H, and he got ingratiated into the mega group, one of the greatest stables in not only WWE history, but pro wrestling history, Evolution. And uh, slowly but surely, Dave would see the disintegration of the group that he helped build, and it culminated with the fact that he then won the Royal Rumble in 2005 uh, in that very controversial ending where he and John Cena screwed up the end of it, Vince tore both of his quads, they restarted the match, and uh, Dave ended up winning the match, and then John Cena would end up feuding with JBL on SmackDown because Dave decided he was going to challenge Triple H for
for the World Heavyweight Championship on Raw at WrestleMania 21. He power bombs him through a table, signs the document, and we're off to the races. So, WrestleMania 21, if you thought WrestleMania 20 was a big deal, WWE pulled out all the stops for WrestleMania 21. And why do you say this? Well, of course, WrestleMania 20 was at Madison Square Garden in New York. Well, this time they went to the other big city on the other coast. They went to Hollywood, baby. That's right. They went to uh, they went to the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, where 20,000 people stormed into the Staples Center. Of course, there was all the celebrities there. It's L.A. If you've never experienced L.A. or New York or big cities like that, uh, first of all, I don't blame you. They're crazy. They're nuts. And uh, you're likely to go insane if you stay there long enough. That being said, we have a Yankees fan and a Dodgers fan on this podcast. So, of course, we both appreciate what those big cities bring to a big event like WWE, like WrestleMania. Uh, So this was the main event of this show. A star-studded show, which, by the way, looking back on this, I had totally forgotten that the WWE Championship and the World Heavyweight Championship were literally back-to-back because I remember the the promo backstage before both matches where JBL and Triple H were both making fun of each other, saying that they were going to lose their titles that night, and it was a preface, a premonition to them both losing their titles that night. Because Big Dave, yes, that's right. The champion came out first because Triple H got Motorhead live. Man, I I had forgotten how awesome that performance was with with Lemmy. May he rest in peace. Thank you. Um, Motorhead, just Motorhead. Um, Before we get into the details of the match, uh, again, champion coming out first because, you know, it's, super heel triple h that like everybody still hated at this point and wanted to see his ass get kicked um and then dave came out to very very generic music and yet i still love it to this day because it just reminds me of the animal's humble beginnings where he was just triple h's bodyguard and then became the world heavyweight champion um I must say this from the outset, because I mention this every time, um, as much as their act got old, as much as people started to stray away from them as a commentary team, um, it, it doesn't get much better in this era than, than, than JR and the King. It just doesn't it for, for, for a lot of wrestling fans, you know, if you didn't have Gorilla Monsoon or Bobby the Brain Heenan or or you know some of these other guys, it was not a wrestling match to you. And for some of us, it did not feel like a real wrestling match for WWE if it was not JR and the King, period. They were the announce team, period. So I put that out there because, once again, they do a wonderful job telling a story in this match. They do a wonderful job being a complement to the action in the ring. And it's severely an underrated thing. It's a much harder job. 
I know I give Michael Cole a lot of crap because I'm not a big fan of his, but I do recognize when he does call good matches and when he's not a complete just shell for himself at times. I must appreciate the greatness that is Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler because this match is not this match without those two. And let me also point out that uh, this is Mike Chioda in the ring. A very young, spry Mike Chioda, I might add, because, yeah, that's, it's something to just be appreciated. Look, I always, I always made that joke for a long time. John Cone, one, two, slick back hair. Again, refs are supposed to be compliments in the match. They're not supposed to be the match. You're not supposed to always. Anyway, this match is absolutely the epitome of the fact that this represents a guy doing his damnedest to make sure the right guy gets over. Because at the end of the day, Triple H was a guy who was not only a made man, he was literally a reign of terror, okay? And I mean that in the most pleasant way possible because that's the character, okay? I am not disparaging Paul Levesque. I'm simply saying the character, Triple H, was the guy, okay? And... He put a group together to help insulate himself and protect himself as the guy. And that Randy Orton won the World Heavyweight Championship. That was a betrayal. So then we had a situation where Triple H said, okay, I lost Randy. I still got Rick. And I still got Dave. And now Dave wants to turn his back on me. After everything I've done for this guy, now Dave's going to turn on me. And I still remember, you know, Randy's in his ear like, man, you saw what he did to me. He screwed me over. Like, as as soon as I got close to that belt, he felt threatened. He 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 just lashed out and, 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 and turned on me. That's why he wanted you to go to SmackDown and not have to deal with you because you're a threat. And so that match is Triple H trying to prove that he can do it without being insulated. And Dave basically proving that he was ready to take the next step, not only in his career, but as an evolved character for this new generation of stars that the company had to go with. And it was very clear that they were going to go for the two guys, Dave Batista and some guy who did a lot of rapping on SmackDown. You might have heard of him, John Cena. Those were the two guys they were going to go with. And this match perfectly showcases how Triple H is like, ah, all right. He pissed me off. He's an animal. I got to put him down. I just got to get rid of him and out of my life. And Dave's like, F this. I got to beat him. And not only do I got to beat him, I got to beat him my way. And I got to make him play my style. And so the entire match is basically Triple H being very reactionary to Dave because he thinks Dave's going to expend all of his energy trying to beat him. And then because he's the veteran, he'll just beat him. 
and he's got Ric Flair at ringside. And what happens? Triple H falls into the trap that Batista made many people fall into traps, which is you play a power game with Big Dave, you're probably going to lose. And eventually, Triple H found out that if you try to match power for power with the animal, you're going to get bit. And so we saw at the time, and I still, I still to this day, I uh, think very fondly of prime fitness Batista bombs. My God. So, of course, everybody's very fond of the double-A spine buster. And there are a couple of guys that do a very good spine buster. You know, there are guys that do impact, you know, power bombs. You know, we've talked about Kevin Nash's jackknife power bomb or big guys doing bomb type moves where, you know, you pick somebody up and you just slam them on their back. I still remember Batista's power bomb being just deadly for certain reasons because, you know, he's six foot five, he's 318 pounds. He's putting his entire weight down with the person he is slamming. And he's athletic enough to basically kind of roll out of or roll into after his powerbomb. And so it felt like there was a little more torque when it came to what he was doing. And so throughout the match, you see that, you know, Dave's clearly still kind of at that stage where he's still kind of green, right? And Triple H has been in the game for a long time. He is the game, for goodness sakes. And so when we get to the point in the match where, you know, Flair's already interrupted a couple of times. He's already interfered a couple of times. The announcers have brought up, you know, oh, it's two on one. And, you know, Dave's in over his head a little bit, even though he's got all this strength and all this power. You know, Triple H, he's he's just persevered through it all because he's with the dirtiest player in the game, you know, he's the cerebral assassin. He'll find a way out of it. Sledgehammer, dirty tricks, whatever. And so Dave catapults him into the ring ropes on the outside and bloodies the champion. And I realize that blood is not used basically at all in WWE, at least um, for a multitude of reasons, but This is a feud where blood is everywhere. And I know there have been times where particularly Batista has been critical of the fact that their lack of the usage of blood in matches uh, takes away from some of the emotion that can come from, again, what's commonly known as a blood feud. And part of me agrees with him in that when it's necessary... Uh, blood can accentuate a situation where there is a fight. You feel that there is a fight going on. In a scripted world of pro wrestling, you feel as if there is real action going on. It adds to the environment. And so in this first match, Dave busts Triple H open. He's vulnerable. Rick knows he's vulnerable. 
Triple H knows he himself is vulnerable. The announcers know he's vulnerable. The crowd knows he's vulnerable. So Rick comes in for one more try. He gets spine bustered very safely by Dave because it's Ric Flair. It is, he doesn't want to kill the guy. And at the end of it, after Triple H is trying to put his foe away, he tries to put him in the move that ends all moves, the pedigree. The key point in the match, of course, they did excellent camera work as well, which was the bloody champion is about to put Dave in his famous pedigree. He tries to lift him up. Nothing. He tries to lift him up again. Nothing. And then his arms start moving away because Dave is powering out of it. Now, the move after he powered out of it, I think, was in principle an idea, and they just went with whatever was safe out of that idea. But it worked because it showcased that, oh, boy, here comes the animal. He shakes the ropes like the ultimate warrior. He does the thumbs up, thumbs down that basically became part of his trademark move, the old Roman Caesar in the Colosseum, thumbs up, thumbs down thing. And he sets him up, and he gives him not his best Batista bomb, but dare I say the most impactful Batista bomb he'd probably ever put on in his wrestling career because then he would pin the game to become the world heavyweight champion. What a match. You know what? I'll say this as I as I spoke for quite some time about that match because I... I still think very fondly of this match, probably because it's WrestleMania 21, probably because of what not only this match, but the match preceding it uh, meant to spark the new era of WWE going forward with two new top guys. Um, But it proved that, you know, Dave was here to stay. And although he would not have the career that John Cena would end up having. Um, Dave was still a vital part of this new collection of superstars. Um, and again, those weren't the only two guys. I mean, Randy Orton, there were there were plenty of other examples of this, of the next guys that were going to lead this company. And that match is a perfect personification of, you know, Triple H is still there. He's still going to be on the hunt. He's going to get his rematch. But damn it, Dave is here, and he's here to stay. And it just, look, I'm not saying it's a five-star match, okay? Dave is still very green in this match. But you get a guy like Triple H in there that makes him look like a million bucks, he still gets in all of his stuff. You put Dave over clean, you make him look strong. That's how you build stars, people. It's a lost art, and there are thousands of examples I could use of guys that could have gotten the Dave Batista treatment that just didn't, and it's missed opportunities because guess what? If Triple H beats him at WrestleMania, but then Batista beats him a month later at Backlash, no one cares. He lost to WrestleMania. He had won the Royal Rumble. Of course everybody wanted to see him win. So even if the plan was Dave was going to lose the belt in four months, he beat Triple H at WrestleMania. 
that's a big deal. So I only have very kind things to say about this match. I know I've seemingly talked for forever, but I do want to get the J-Man's thoughts on this great match. Well, first of all, I'd like to go ahead and thank you for taking the lead on that. I had a couple of things happening up here and you were so kind to, uh, as always, uh, help me out there. Um, I too uh, look at this match very fondly um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, as the pro Triple H person on this podcast, huh, uh, listen, at the end of the, I'm fully aware of the reign of terror. Um, I am well, I'm fully aware of its massive cons. Like, and I mean massive cons. I get it. People hated triple h during the time and not from a kayfabe standpoint only they hated him because they felt that he was just hogging the world title that he married stephanie mcmahon so he could stay on top which by the way is messed up because 20 uh, nearly 20 years later they're happily married still by the way and yeah you can all say oh well it's because he's the executive vice president of talent relations and he runs NXT. You know, he's used his power exactly to where he wanted to get. Shut the hell up. That's what I have to say to people. But, but I, I, I also want to go ahead and clarify the pros. And at WrestleMania 20, 21, and 22, and by the way, WrestleMania 24, Triple H did something that people never give enough credit for. And you know what I'm talking about, Ross. He puts over Chris Benoit clean at WrestleMania 20 at the Garden. One year later, he puts over Batista clean at Staples. The next year after that, he taps out to John Cena clean in Chicago. And then two years after that, he goes ahead and... I mean, even though he wasn't pinned in this match, but then he puts over Randy Orton, the triple threat match with John Cena. Like for all the crap that we give Triple H and the crap is deserved, mind you. I mean, to this day and Ross, I'll, I'll, I'll echo your statements, man. There is no reason why Booker T should not have gone over in Seattle at 19. Let's just, let's just be completely honest right now. But for that loss, I feel Triple H paid it back by putting over Benoit, Batista, and Cena consecutively in the same way that Cena didn't put over the Nexus and then for the next four years at SummerSlam put on put over everybody, right? So that's the reason why I look at this match fondly. A. B, this match is also really freaking good. You talked about Big Dave being a little bit green in this match. He sure as hell doesn't show it, though. He sure as hell doesn't show it. He does, like... And now he's in the ring with one of the greatest performers of his entire generation. That being said, though, he still did everything he could. Thank you. He still did everything he could in order to match him power move for power move spot for spot. Yes, Triple H sold for him. But you know what else? He sold for Triple H. He went ahead and put himself in the position in order to be the most successful where the crowd wasn't going to be looking at him and saying, oh, Dave messed up. Uh, Dave doesn't belong. In this match, Dave did everything in his power to show 20,000 people in Staples Center and over, I don't know how many people bought WrestleMania 21. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that, give you that answer right now because I have it up here. Over 1,090,000 buy rates for WrestleMania 21. So he showed, I don't know, nearly a million and a half people in one night that he belonged. 
that he was the main eventer, that Vince knew he was, that Trips knew he was, that Ric Flair knew he was, and that everybody in the back who gave a head, who gave the thumbs up to Big Dave getting a main event push was. You know what? I'm just going to flat out say it right now. That night in Staples, he did exactly what Randy Orton wanted to do eight months prior. And, and, and that's, not a, 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 that's not a slight at Randy Orton. But Randy Orton, when he turned babyface at SummerSlam the previous year, he didn't get these types of reactions. He wasn't this getting this type of – like he got the push. But for whatever reason, Randy wasn't able to go ahead and put all the pieces together at that moment in time. Now, don't get me wrong. When you look at for career for career in wrestling, Randy Orton is the better performer beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like he's got the career that Dave wanted. But at the beginning, Dave was able to put all those pieces together together sooner than Randy was. Now, I wonder, Ross, whether or not this had to do a little bit with the maturity stuff, because, you know, you look at evolution and evolution is supposed to be these group of young, hungry guys that were aligned with Triple H and Ric Flair. But people forget that (laughs) Batista is older than Triple H. Um, And I'm wondering if there was a sense of maturity that Dave had at that time that Randy hadn't figured out yet. And so because of that, Dave was able to handle the pressures of being a champion a little bit easier, handle that massive main event push a little bit easier. And he was able to be trusted more because he was able to handle that. Would you agree? They handled the Randy Orton situation, I think, poorly. Um, And ideally, Randy Orton probably would have stayed with that group longer but Randy was probably more ready to break away than Dave was because Dave, look, uh, Dave needed time to grow as a professional. Um, He has spoken very, very fondly of the fact that Ric Flair helped him a lot during those evolution times. You look back on the very brief time when they were the tag team champions it's very, very clear that Dave took a lot of direction from Rick, um, and just just how to just how to carry himself. And Dave needed that extra time because even in this match, you could tell that like Dave was kind of he was juiced, he was juiced and ready to go. And I don't mean juiced like steroids; I mean juiced like just jack, like just absolutely ready to go and really Hype break is out probably the better start. word to use Hype. There, you yeah, yeah. there you go but as we progress through these matches you'll see that he gets a lot more comfortable and he blossoms into the guy that we would know him as and so that transitions us nicely into their rematch which did happen one month later at backlash this would, of course, take place. Okay, this is what's so hilarious to me. Okay. WrestleMania, a month earlier, right? So, WrestleMania took place on April 3rd, 2005. Backlash was May 1st, 2005. WrestleMania took place in the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. A month later, Raw is in Manchester, New Hampshire. (laughs) Like, 
I never, I never understood why you wouldn't just like put yourself in a situation where you just you're on a traveling schedule. So like by that next month, why were they not, you know, in the upper Northwest or somewhere in the Midwest or maybe in the Southwest or maybe somewhere, you know, Texas or anywhere. The, no, they're just, they're just in the middle of the Northeast again. Just why not? So here we are in Manchester, New Hampshire for backlash. Uh, thankfully there were no corny catchphrases for these. Uh, there was a spotlight on the promotional poster that featured a very creepy looking triple H because of course, the theme of this pay-per-view is that he wanted to get his title back. The show also main evented this show. This match also main evented this show. Um, it was a singles rematch for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, again, no stipulations, just a rematch. But this time, Triple H is the challenger, which means he doesn't have the champion's advantage. And Ric Flair getting involved is going to have to be a little more tactful because he can't get disqualified because he's the challenger because Big Dave's the champ. He's got the advantage. And now, you know, this is this is this is a point in time where people have become very abrasive towards Triple H. And what I mean is, oh, the champion lost his belt. What's he's. He's a little more, a little more vulnerable. So starting on TV, you'd start, you know, he was untouchable on TV for a while. You know, yeah. oh, we don't want to rock the boat and go hate on evolution. No, we're going to get beat up by three guys. Now it's like, oh yeah, if we roll up on Triple H and Ric Flair, what are they going to do? Nothing. So the bloom was off the rose a little bit when it came to Triple H. And so... Now you're starting to, you know, he's a little more insecure, even though he's kind of been, he's kind of been the chicken heel. Now it's like, oh God, like, is he actually going to get this done? I don't know. And so Triple H decides very early on that, all right, I overlooked you in the first match. You beat me. You're the more powerful guy. Now I got to out wrestle you. Now I got to outthink you. Because if I just try to muscle you, you're going to beat me. So what does he do? He attacks the body. Slowly but surely. He starts trying to get in Batista's head. The cerebral assassin. They both go for finishers very early in the match, which of course is a trope that's used in a lot of rematches where... Both guys kind of just want to get the match over with because they've already seen each other once. They've already wrestled each other once. There's familiarity there. And so now, okay, can't beat you with a pedigree two minutes in the match. I'm going to wear down your legs. I'm going to wear down your back. I'm going to wear down everything that makes you the deadliest animal possible. And then once I break you down, then I'm going to prove something to you because that was Triple H. And Dave being the awesome B-face that he was and still is and can be today, even though I know we all remember 
skinny jeans Batista and you know I quit and just we just we just love Dave for just the schmarmy Hollywood yeah. heel that he would become. Oh, and by the way, also when he came back in 2019 and he beat the snot out of Ric Flair and got, and what was it? He said, do I have your attention now? Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, you got my attention, Dave. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Okay, sorry. But, right, for as much as we love that Dave because we respect Dave and, like, that's 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 just how these things work. Like, even even if you go away and come back, you came back. Like, we still love you as wrestling fans. Absolutely. I, I adore you, Regardless. Dave. Regardless. We love you, Dave. So, but during this time, look, it is amazing to me how hard it is for WWE to make baby faces. It's not that hard. Okay? Um, make wrestlers that are either really big or have great personalities or are really good wrestlers, um, have them do what they do best, have them persevere and go against the odds when the heels try to cheat or overpower them, and make them win lots of matches. It'll work. (laughs) I guarantee it. It'll work. So for Dave's case, he's big. He might be a little green, but he does cool stuff. His promos are getting better, and he's wrestling a guy everybody hates. This will work. So you just let Dave do the power stuff, let him get over in short bursts, which is what he's good at. He's getting better. He's evolving. He's getting better. But you're still leading him up there, right? And let Triple H do what he does best, which is take the lead in a match, not only with the physical aspect of it, but the psychological aspect of it, not only with ring psychology, but the impact that's going on with the fans all over the place, right? In the arena and watching on pay-per-view. This was pre-network, of course. And just be the lead in this in this dance known as a rematch for the World Heavyweight title. And even though it is not the WrestleMania 21 match, for a rematch, it is perfectly acceptable. Again, there are tropes in it. That I could have done without. There are things, I mean, literally, the backlash match is the WrestleMania 21 matches with the spots configured in different spots. Like catapulting him into the side, that's in a different spot. Um, the low blow in the middle of the ring without the referee detecting it, that's in a different spot. Ric Flair's outside interference, that's in a different spot. Um, was there blood in the second match, too? Oh, yeah. Trips, okay. trips blood buckets in all three matches for okay. sure okay uh did dave get color in just the hell in a cell match or did he get color in this match too uh, he i think he just bled in the at, at vengeance yeah okay okay um so if i'm gonna praise the wrestlemania 21 match i will at least say the rematch was fine Okay, very few rematches, very few part twos, very few sequels outdo the originals, right? It's mostly brought up in movies. The two that I always reference are Terminator 2 and The Empire Strikes Back, right? 
and what would we say godfather 2 might be in that list too oh yeah well godfather part one and part two go hand in hand like i think people will go ahead and say part two is good and then they'll rewatch them again it's like oh no wait part one is still so good okay i i think in my instance i would say um lethal weapon 2 to me is better than the first than the first one as is rush hour 2 and i know those aren't like oh my god those aren't classics but you know for popcorn movies and stuff like that which i think can sometimes you know be used as a perfect example and when it comes to professional wrestling i think that's perfectly fine but i think what you just said in t2 and and godfather and uh empire strikes back that's perfectly acceptable so Again, just just to put a bow on it, um, this match to me proved that you know Dave had a little more experience under his belt. He had already wrestled Triple H once before, so now this match was okay. Dave beat him the first time. Now let's see if you can do it a second time. Because guess what? As so many times in pro wrestling have shown, it only takes three seconds to get beat once, right? Triple H has been beaten by a lot of people, okay? Shelton Benjamin beat him. Actually, how many times did Shelton Benjamin beat him? Pretty sure it was twice, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so Shelton Benjamin beat him a couple times, but Triple H came out on top, right? Yeah. Uh, Triple H lost to the Brooklyn Brawler in a match. Triple H lost to Vince McMahon for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Pretty sure. didn't. Did, did Trips lose to Eugene? He did lose to Eugene. Yeah. Okay, that can happen. Yeah, but beating a guy twice—that's tough, right? And 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 to use an NFL reference, right? You can beat a division opponent twice in the regular season, but when it comes to the playoffs, but beating them three times when you got to play them in the playoffs too—that is damn near impossible. There you because, go, because because of the familiarity. So I know I used a lot of references, and I apologize, but the point is that to me, this was a match for everyone to show and to see if Dave was for real. Yeah. And and Dave beat him again. So now it was, okay, now we got to see the finale because Dave's Dave's beaten him twice. Triple H isn't going anywhere. Is, Trip, is he finally going to get his revenge? Or is Dave going to beat him a third time? Right. Let me ask you a question. Um, yes, sir. Because I, I don't... I wanted to come across here that I actually do like the backlash match. I don't love it. I love the vengeance match, which we'll get into in a second. And I like the WrestleMania match too, but I like this one, but I don't love it. One thing to me that I think would have been perfect to do in either WrestleMania at either WrestleMania 21 or at backlash in order to really put over Dave as a force, right? Like really put over Dave as a force. You know what I really would have loved, Ross? And this this goes into storytelling too, because like the one thing that I love about this storyline is Triple H went berserk because he could not at all come close to beating Batista, right? You know what would have been great? Batista, Batista bombs him literally first thing in the match and ends it right there. Now, now, here's the problem with that then you really don't have a reason to have the Hell in a Cell match at uh, Vengeance. So that causes a problem because inherently that is by far the best match in this feud. And we're about to discuss that very, very soon. If I gave away my number one, sorry, but you'd have to be stupid to not think that the Vengeance match is not the best match in this feud. But 
from a psychological standpoint, because Ross, I think we can both agree that the best thing about Batista versus Triple H in this entire feud and even the 2019 match is the mesmerizing storytelling that is told by both men. Would you agree that the, the storytelling in this match or in these in this feud is I want I want to be careful when I say second to none, but like it it's it's I think it's the best thing about this feud is the storytelling. Um, we we talk a lot about telling the story. We talk a lot about telling stories, which unfortunately is a lost art in a lot of today's pro wrestling. Yeah. Um, most of the focus has been on the match rather than the storytelling. Um, this was an era where basically uh, Dave was challenged to really work on becoming a main event level promo um, up against a guy who had a lot more experience with it. Yeah. Um, and then again, when it comes to the match, yes, not only telling a story, but executing it. Correct. By the way, like let it be known right now, without the Triple H feud, you don't get, you don't get Dave Batista as the great actor that he is becoming right now in front of our eyes. You just don't. Um, not to put a lot of credit in Triple H's hands, but anybody who worked with Batista from like 2004 to like 2009 Without that version of Batista, whether it's a babyface or even a heel, especially with, by the way, the Rey Mysterio feud back in like early 2010 and late 2009, perfect catalyst for that. But without that, you don't get Big Dave being a great actor as he is now, becoming Drax the Destroyer and getting that awesome role in um, Inspector and uh, doing the cool stuff that he just did in Army of the Dead, which, by the way, is about to hit Netflix very soon. I think it's on theaters right now. You guys should check it out because I hear it's it's an absolute banger of a movie. It, it's it's actually already out on Netflix. Is is it? I think it came out a couple of days ago, if I'm not mistaken. You're absolutely right. Yep. But that being said, my my point is, you don't get the greatness that is Dave Batista without him telling these incredible stories in the ring with Triple H and with some of the others, even the Undertaker. But you know, I go back to what I was trying to make my point of storytelling and executing the storytelling. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, the what, Triple H as a heel was at his best when he didn't have the world title, Ross. And what I and the reason I say that is not because, oh, well, thank God Triple H dropped the title. He had it for like nine months. Jesus. No, but I'm talking about. There was a psychology that Triple H put out as a performer that what was the thing about triple h he adored being champion he not wanted to be on top he needed to be on top and when he wasn't on top he would go into like a deep depression like go psycho ross one of my favorite segments of all time on monday night raw is when lillian garcia announces triple h as the former world heavyweight champion and he loses his mind and chases lillian garcia out of the ring do you remember that uh that was I after do... he lost to chris benoit i think so i do remember that promo was this the feud where there was one night where he just like broke down and just left the arena perhaps oh, you know what it may have been the batista feud actually because I think there was a time where, like, Dave, like, totally slapped him around on the mic. And Triple H is like, F this. And Flair's like, nah, man. Actually, you, you know what? It's per- you know what? Great point. Because, actually, I think that's what leads us into the vengeance match. Because oh, if man. I'm not mistaken, Triple H loses to. So, okay. 
let, let, let's put a bow on backlash. Backlash is good. WrestleMania is good. I personally think that if Dave would have beat him in like two minutes after a massive Batista bomb, it would have been awesome storytelling because that's what would have really been Triple H's breaking point. Like but, I lost a big Dave in two minutes. What's but, wrong with me? But, but yeah, we got a the, match yeah. that is supposed to be a feud ender. 1000%. And guess and guess what this Hell in a Cell match was? A feud ender. What? Because Yes, and not to mention also one of the greatest Hell in a Cell matches. Because at this point, right? Okay. So Triple H is like, all right, I got to beat you. Now, was it Triple H's idea or was it Dave's idea? No, it was Triple H's idea and Dave accepted it. Yes, correct. So actually, it's great that you bring that up because during this time, Eric Bischoff did a gold rush tournament for the number one contendership to the world heavyweight title. Yes. Um, and in like the semifinals, it was Benoit versus triple H in the semifinals winner would get edge in the finals. And this was when edge just won money in the bank. Um, and then obviously this is a, a, a rekindling of the greatness that was triple H versus Kim Chris Benoit a year prior. And, in that match, Benoit beats Triple H because Batista gets involved and he pulls the rope away from Triple H while he's stuck in a sharpshooter. And so Trips has to tap out and the crowd goes nuts. And you see Batista laughing at Triple H and Triple H is literally on the verge of... It's great. It's such great. That's what I'm talking about. It's great storytelling. When Triple H did not have the world title or the WWE title... In the early 2000s, in the Ruthless Aggression era, it's when he was his best character because he was at a breaking point. He needed that world title to breathe. That was his That was his Darth Vader mask in the best way possible. Darth Vader needed the mask in order to go ahead and survive. Triple H needed the world title in order to survive. It's fantastic storytelling. I love it. I love That's why I love Triple H. Triple H is the man. Triple H is the man. That's my boy. Okay, so, I got hyped. I'm sorry. So, so Triple H in his infinite wisdom is like, all right, I can't beat Dave. And I thought I could outsmart Dave, but this animal's learning new tricks. Right. He's not dumb. Yeah. And, and, and like Rick and I taught him all these things to be like awesome. Damn it. What the hell did we do? Like, what the hell? You opened so, Pandora's box. So, oh, what a dumbass. That's great. It's so great then, storytelling. So then he and Flair, which, I mean, if you don't like Ric Flair, especially during this era, I don't know what to tell you, okay? Ric Flair, when he came over from WCW and joined and hung out with Triple H and Shawn Michaels and those guys, like, he was, he was rejuvenated, and he was... He was he was he was the dirtiest player in the game. So I mean, basically, pretty much anything Flair did on TV at this time was just gold, especially heel Flair, just gold. Um, so Flair and Triple H come up with this plan. They're like, "All right, we're going to somehow convince Dave that he's got to beat us one more time, and he's got to beat Triple H in a match." He's never lost because we're going to say, all right, so we want to wrestle you again. 
and you're gonna you're gonna have such bravado that you're gonna let us pick the stipulation because you're the man. And they're like, "All right, I'll just pick a match I've never lost." Hell in a cell. And Dave's like, "Okay, you're on." And Triple H is like, "I got him. He's dead." Triple H had never lost. Triple H, I believe, was six and zero in Hell in a Cell matches by this point, or maybe seven and zero. So, if I if my math is correct, he had beaten Cactus Jack, he had beaten Chris Jericho, he had beaten uh, Kevin Nash, he had beaten Shawn Michaels. So that's four and zero. What other matches am I forgetting between Triple H and a um, and Hell in a Cell? So Triple H. Hell in a Cell matches. Okay, so he wrestled. Okay, he beat Sean. Okay, hold on. I got to think about this. Sure. So I think I think he had only had four matches up until that point. I think he was four and zero. Oh. So yeah, Cactus Jack was the first one. I think. His fir- his first match, not the first ever Hell in a Cell. No, I'm, so I'm actually I'm actually I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna make sure that I do this correctly now. You know, this is a perfect segment for Test of Dawn. It is, but but it's really not. <laughs> well, just just for the why is this not coming? Oh, that's why. Some websites have him listed as HHH. Uh-huh. Some have him listed as Triple H. H. Okay, so Triple H has wrestled against Cactus Jack. Yeah, he won. Uh, Chris Jericho. That's two. Kevin Nash. That's three. Shawn Michaels. That's four. Batista was five. Batista was five. Okay, awesome. Nice. Go, Jorge. You're welcome, Jorge. You're welcome, Um, audience. Let's see. It was... I think the next one... Undertaker. Wow, that was that long between the triple the the his last Hell in a Cell match. Woo. Well, okay, so was DX oh. versus Vince Shane and Big Show a Hell in a Cell? Yes, match? it was, and that happened okay. at Unforgiven the following year. Okay, and, and then he also won. I believe DX also faced Legacy in and a Hell lost. in a Cell match, but that was a Tornado Tag Team Hell in a Cell match, right? Correct. Okay, so yeah, there you go. So. So okay, I guess he was. I guess he was four and zero then yep. going into that match. Okay, regardless, nice. He he had he had never lost. Correct. Yes, okay. you were absolutely right. He was undefeated. Which, I was just trying to test my own memory there to see if I could go ahead and actually which, name each of them, which and I did. The, which, by the way, we we covered another match on this show in which a guy was just had the bravado of saying he had never lost a match, and then promptly lost that match. That would be Edge and John Cena at Unforgiven two thousand six, where Very Edge true. had never lost. In a TLC match, match. In, yeah. a, in a in a TLC match because he and Christian won both of the massive tag team matches that involved the Dudleys and the Hardys. True. So, uh, that being said, that tangent. Sorry. No, no, we go on plenty of them, and plenty of people love them. So, um, this match, of course, is the longest of the three. Uh-huh. Uh, it did happen at Vengeance 2005 which took place at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yep. Um, and uh, it was 
the main event of this show. Yes, it was. So and it another, needed to be the main event, by the way. An, another, um, I'm sure it's not the first, but another feud where every match was the main event. Now, it probably helps because it was Raw branded and it was the top belt. So that's probably not as unusual as I think it might be. But I think we've done a lot of feuds on this show on TDT's Classic Series where every match was not in the same position. Correct. So I just want John to point Cena that out. AJ Styles. Was that the main event of all three of their matches? It was not, okay. shockingly enough. Uh, okay. I think Styles, I think the Money in the Bank was the second to last SummerSlam was in the middle, and then uh, Royal Rumble was the semi-main. Okay. So um, this Hell in a Cell match was given almost 27 minutes, uh, which I thought was very appropriate given the fact that uh, this was a feud ender. And to me, Hell in a Cell matches are meant to be very violent, very brutal, and have a very definitive ending. Unlike Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins. Yeah. Dramatic pause. Sleep. Let it let it linger. Let it linger. Let that let, let that get into your nostrils, ladies and gentlemen. That's how much that oh, wait, match actually, stinks. Actually, excuse me. Wasn't it the fiend versus Seth Rollins or was it Bray Wyatt? It was the fiend Bray Wyatt. I don't yes. care. It still sucked and it was a red cage. How dare you put us through that? Anyway, the, <laughs> the, the, the point that is, sucks. the point is, okay, when we look at Hell in a Cell matches, okay, people are not supposed to be the same coming out of them, okay? All combatants are going to be changed forever because in theory, you will have gone through hell which happens to be in a cell. And you're going to walk out of it as different people. And that's, and that's the damn truth. So this match, of course, it's in a cell, no flair. And uh, I believe the rules of the match were pinfall or submission. There was no escape clause in this cage match, which, uh, most of the time in cage matches, unless the story calls for it or there's something involving the Hell in a Cell not being the finale to the feud, which again, sometimes I am fine with if there's a point to it. I am not normally a fan of escaping the cage as part of the stipulation unless it makes sense. Yeah, um, I think that the usually when they go ahead and do the escaping of the cage, it's usually just a, re- I think you know this regular steel cage match because um, there's yes. no roof um, right, and, no, and but, with, yeah. right no but I, I guess what I'm saying is you could technically have a hell in a cell match where I, I mean it would be stupid but I mean technically you could have a hell in a cell match where you could leave yeah no no, no absolutely I mean not because because we've had hell in a cell matches where people have gone outside Shawn Michaels and Undertaker uh, was that six man Armageddon match? Was that technically a Hell in a Cell match? It was. A, it was a Hell in a Cell match. Yes, it was. Where uh, where uh, where where Kurt Angle like crawled and and won the match. Yep. Even though even though nobody gave him a chance in hell of winning, given yep. the given yep. the field, I think the odds were like Rikishi had the worst odds, but then like Kurt Angle retaining, everybody just laughed at. Right. Because of all the other talent in the ring. Yeah. It, it was, was Triple H, Stone Triple Cold, H, Rock, and the Undertaker. Yep. That match is a banger. Oh, yes, it is. So good. 
Until until Vince brought out the hay truck for no reason. And oh yeah, it was so that Rikishi didn't die. <laughs> it was only so he could go ahead and be partially paralyzed for about seven minutes. <laughs> Listen, I know it's complete a completely stupid spot, but it is an absolutely glorious spot. I don't care what anybody says. Undertaker yeah, choke slamming so. Rikishi to death is amazing. Uh, well, no, it wasn't a choke slam. He just kind of like pushed. He pushed him, him off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, look, at, uh, this was also the first match, or I'm sorry, the first pay per view match that uh, Dave came out with his saliva music. I walk alone. That one. My voice is all screwed up, so I couldn't do that appropriately. So we had uh, saliva and uh, Motorhead at this point instead of uh, generic WWE music, which again, I, I still hold near and dear to my heart because it just reminds me of the humble beginnings of Dave Batista. But uh, look, this was a war because, you know, Dave had already beaten him twice. And he's like, all right, I'm the baby face. The heel wants the match that he's never lost. I'm just going to beat him. Like, how can you not cheer for a dude like that? He's like, oh, you're the heel and I've already beaten you twice, yet I'm letting you pick the... Like, that's the old gunfighter movie that's like, oh, yeah, so I already killed your two buddies. Oh, but now you want to step up and it's on your terms and, oh, yeah, I'm still going to beat you. Like, how can you not root for this person? Like, awesome. Okay, so, so can I just say, though, so it was very interesting, not to interrupt you, but you talk about how, like, how you can hate Batista. I, at this moment in time, Triple H, because of his performance, was starting to go ahead and get back into the fan, like into the hearts of some fans. Like the, there was a little bit of cheers for Triple H, and then obviously he comes back like four months later as a babyface to then turn heel on Ric Flair. But this was that catalyst. Like you could go ahead and audibly hear some people hyped for Triple H. Well, look, okay. There is, there is the sense of when somebody is on top for a long time and they either get stale or eventually anybody that's on top for a long period of time, everyone wants to see them lose. Dynasties. Nobody likes dynasties except for the people that are fans of that dynasty. Okay? You're a Yankees fan. I'm a Dodgers fan. Two of the most iconic baseball teams in Major League Baseball. Guess what? People love to hate those teams. Guess who doesn't hate them? They're fans. Okay. It's the reality. Yeah, it's just okay? facts. Yeah. It's just, it, it, and that happens in every sport or any walk of life. Okay. That's why people, people love seeing other people beat LeBron James. People, the way, people like sons. the, people like the underdogs. Okay. They just do. That's, that's, that's just human nature, I guess. So in a way, you know, Triple H hadn't had the title in a few months. Okay, like maybe it's maybe it's okay to cheer for Triple H again. Yay. H, H, he's our man. If he can't do it, great! Quoting from Aladdin there. Yes, that's right. Oh, good stuff. I, Triple H was the underdog in this match. Shocking! Shocking! Also, also not shocking that I just referenced Aladdin and Triple H really was the Jafar of Raw at that point. He was. By the way, Aladdin, just one of the greats. One and of the Rick, all-time greats. And Ric Flair really was Yago. My God, how how accurate that statement is. Unreal. <sighs> Unreal. Un Unreal. We Hey, so, listen, if there's anything that we do great on this show, it's when we go ahead and bring up Disney movies. I'm pretty sure a couple of years ago, I definitely 
hit people with Drew McIntyre in a Toy Story comparison when I was okay. talking about Money in the Bank. Okay, so first of all, your references suck. Okay, shut up. <laughs> shut up. It was great. I don't know what you're talking about, brother. You, you've also referenced like weird, weird Disney Pixar movies in the middle of the show, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Okay, I don't know what you're talking about. Weird. Uh, I brought up The Emperor's New Groove a few months ago, and you love that movie. Look, it is a great movie, but your references still kind of whack. That's all I'm saying. Just, yeah. H H, he's our man. If he can't do it, great. Anyway, the point is the Hell in a Cell match. This this was this was an all timer, and the reason why it's an all timer is again, I mentioned the I mentioned in the commentary, but look, this was really the first time since the first match, in my opinion, that Dave was vulnerable because Triple H. Wait, was it was it Triple H that smacked it? Yes, Triple H hit him right in the face with a barbed wire steel steel chair. Yeah, yes. that's how Dave gets busted open. Hit him in the face. Yeah, but that was after the fact that Batista like wailed on him on his back. Oh yeah, with that steel again with that barbed wire wrapped steel chair. I mean, listen. Back in 2005, the crap that you found under a WWE ring was tremendous. You oh. found chainsaws. Yes. You found barbed wire, barbed wire wrapped two by fours or chairs or baseball bats if you're Cactus Jack. Uh, what else? You found screwdrivers. You found toolboxes instead of stupid ass mallets. Again, once more, talking to you. Fiend. Um, what else did you, you of course found a trusty sledgehammer? Um, oh, uh, trash cans. Trash cans were always a necessity under the ring. Uh, just a bunch of great stuff. Fortunately, this was pre leprechaun days, though. This was pre leprechaun days. And by the way, if, 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 the, if, um, if, uh, what's his name again? Hornswoggle. Hornswoggle. Thank you. Um, if Hornswoggle was under that ring, I'm sure Batista would have used him as a weapon. Uh, no, that would have been during the DX comedy days where, uh, God, so that just some awful, awful television back then. My God, that was back when John Cena was dressing like he was a rep for John Deere. I remember that unreal. Anyway, once again, another tangent off of like this great hell in a cell match. I'm tired. We're all tired. The point is that, uh, the reason why this match is so great is because you never get taken out of the fact that you are in a war between two guys who used to be friends, two guys who used to be confidants, two guys who would do anything for each other. And now they want to tear their heads off and be the top dog on Raw. And Triple H is starting to Feel his grip on Raw slowly slipping through his fingers. And Dave, oh, Dave's got all the bravado in the world. He's just like, I beat you twice, screwed you out of a tournament, got your number. And Triple H is like, oh, no, I'm going to hit you with a belt. I'm going to hit you with a barbed wire steel chair. I'm going to bring out the sledge. Yep. I'm going to do everything. And Dave just keeps kicking out. And Triple H is like, the hell do I got to do to beat this guy? Yeah. And I mean, it was pretty much just short of killing him. 
at that yeah. point. You, you, you talked about earlier when we first started the podcast, you talked about uh, selling was such an important aspect oh. of all three of these matches. Um, so Ross, I th- I'm not sure if you've ever referenced it on the pod, but you've referenced it in personal conversations. One of your funnier spots that you always enjoy is when triple H jumps off the second rope and he took a boot to the face and he just like, there's this loop of him, like going almost down for like 30 seconds. So it started in this hell in a cell match when he jumps off the second rope. And I think he's about to hit Batista with the, um, I think it's, he's about to hit him with, with the barbed wire steel chair. Uh, but then, but then Batista grabs the sledgehammer and he just points it up and hits Triple H right in the jaw. <laughs> it's so, it's so good. And then again, but Trips is like doing the whole like loop. Ah, but and then he falls face first about ten seconds later. It's tremendous. And I know that it's a comedy spot, but at the same time, if you jump off the second rope and you go face first into a sledgehammer, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. Well, look, I mean, they teased a pedigree on the steps, which then led to the spot of him catapulting him. Um, there was also a, a spine time, buster actually on the, a, on the steps a, as well. A spine buster on the steps. Yep. And then he goes, he he went for a Batista bomb earlier in the match and got a world title to the face. And then he grabs he grabs the sledgehammer. He picks it up and he's about to nail him in the face. And Batista's like, Nope, you're done. And he pins him again. Yeah. Dave Batista has pinned Triple H clean three times. Three times. It's good stuff. It is a masterful feud. Oh, it's tremendous. It, it, it's just so good. I mean, I mean, the first match probably made Dave like, 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 the guy yeah but the second match all but solidified it and the third match you you just look at that and go um that's the best guy on raw 100 percent, and it ain't even close now oh yeah yeah yeah. so i mean what I, I i've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast i know that for a fact um you know during during the summer of 2005, I know this because of several reasons. One of them, I was I went to the SmackDown in June 2005 when I think uh, Christian got drafted over to SmackDown. They were down this, in Tucson. This would be the uh, this would be the concierge days, everybody. No, man, this was me a sophomore in high school, bro. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, this is this is this is pre concierge glad handing uh, the guy on Raw that I hate commentary wise. Yes. Um, why is his name escaping me right now? You talk about freaking Byron Saxon. Get out of here. Oh, by the way. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about raw once we're done. Go ahead yeah, and wrap yeah, yeah. up what we'll, you were going to we'll say. Wrap it up in just a little bit. But, uh, what I was trying to get at is during that month of June, they were, they split the draft by week. So every week raw and SmackDown would go ahead and get a, would get a pick. It was the draft wasn't held in one night, which is actually very interesting. They've never done it since. Um, it's very cool. Uh, it'd be very nice maybe if perhaps they brought that back because that actually made the entire month of June very, very fun. But, you know, John Cena gets drafted over to Raw at the beginning of the few, at the beginning of the month. And then at the end of the month, I think right after Batista had beaten Triple H at Vengeance, because at one time Raw had both the World Heavyweight Champion and the WWE Champion simultaneously, 
you know, Batista gets drafted over to SmackDown in Anaheim and that place went berserk. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Taz's line is like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh my God. I believe it. I love that. I love that segment. It's uh JBL wins the num- what he thinks is going to be the SmackDown title. And then, you know, of course, Teddy Long comes out. He's like, hold on, player. We don't need a SmackDown title because SmackDown just hit the jackpot. And it's, you know, of course, Big Dave comes out. And I was like, you know, 15-year-old me, I'm like, going bananas. I'm like, yo, it's Big Dave. Big Dave. And so, uh, I mean, you don't get that enthusiasm and that adrenaline rush without him having beaten the snot out of Triple H for three straight months. You know what I'm saying? Um, It's just that's supplement. Let me tell you something. April, May, and June of 2005. Those are some great months of television, like great months of television. I mean, that I quit match between John Cena and JBL at judgment day is iconic in the same way that trips versus Batista hell in a cell at vengeance is iconic. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just good stuff. I, I said, you know what I'm saying? Like nine different times. I don't care. Like that's, I, I just, I love, I love this time period. I love the ruthless aggression era. We talked about it with razor a few, a few weeks ago. I love this point in time. So it is that time in the show where we rank the matches. We're going to do a very rapid fire one of this. So uh, I'm just going to start. Um, my third match is going to be Backlash 05. Um, it's a rematch. It is a perfectly fine rematch, but it is definitely the inferior of the three. Um, my number two is the WrestleMania 21 main event between the two of them. Very good match set up the rest of the feud, uh, but the Hell in a Cell at Vengeance is the number one match in this feud. It caps everything off very nicely and absolutely solidifies Dave Batista as a main eventer and equal to Triple H at this point um, and helped during this time period not only solidify Batista on Raw, but during that time it also solidified Uh, that he and John Cena were the two guys that were going to move this era forward. So Backlash, WrestleMania, Vengeance, uh, 3-2-1. So Um, I will also echo those those statements exactly as stated. I think Backlash 2005 is number three. WrestleMania 21 is number two. And Hell in a Cell at Vengeance is number one. And not only is it number one in this feud, but uh, it is also one of the top four greatest Hell in a Cell matches of all time. Um, I think that it can make its cases for number one because of what it bit, did for Big Dave. I think that it holds its own against Undertaker and Triple H, against Batista versus The Undertaker at Survivor Series, and whatever other match you want to throw in there as number, you know, as part of number four. Um, actually, you know what? Screw it. I'll go ahead and just put Batista versus Triple H at Vengeance at number three as the third greatest Hell in a Cell match of all time. Um, actually, you know what, but then Undertaker and Shawn Michaels at, at Bad Blood in 97 is up there too. So those are the four best and, and it's just so important to the era. It's so important to, to, to Batista, but then again, I can't stress this enough. It's so important for the growth and overall caricature that was Triple H in the mid 2000s and his obsession, his obsession with the world title, his obsession with being the top dog. It was, it's just great, intriguing storytelling as a whole. Um, this, 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 this feud shows you exactly how to build 
a good guy and exactly how to turn a bad guy back into a good guy. Because this was the catalyst. Now, of course, you know, you still have the the the, the horrendousness of Triple H, you know, wanting to kill Ric Flair and then wanting to destroy the big show and then wanting to go ahead and stop John Cena from existing. And he couldn't do he couldn't stop John Cena from existing. He took pinfall after submission after pinfall after submission. And then what does he do? He finally finds his ground once more and he reunites with his best friend because that's what he needed. That's what he needed. It's just such a great storytelling as, as a whole, man. I love this match. I love this feud. I love Big Dave. I love trips. <sighs> what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. So, um, that was a very nice look into one of the greatest feuds uh, of that era, for sure. Yeah. And uh, very, very one-sided, uh, because, of course, Dave beat him three times. Um, but, again, a very important one to look back on. Um, so before we get into our, our big news, uh, there is some wrestling news that we do want to promote, which is that... Uh, Adnan Verk is uh, no longer with the WWE Raw commentary team. He has been relieved of his duties. He, uh, of course, has been doing a lot of work, mostly on the sports side. Uh, he was working with MLB, working with ESPN, working with a lot of different places. Um, all I will say is that um, it was an attempt. Um, he, he tried his best. Unfortunately, he just came off as fish out of water, and that's not his fault. He was put in a very difficult position um, and just did not succeed in the way that they wanted him to succeed. Um, I am fully on board with Michael Cole only being on one show. I am fully on board with there being two completely separate announced teams in which nobody has to pull double duty. Um, if you're going to have two different shows like that, I'm totally fine with them sounding like two different shows. Um, I know Graves pulled double duty for a long time. I'm glad that lessened, and I hope that that is the case going forward, that he is only on one show. Um, the rumor is that guy that they brought on to one of the NXT shows recently, I think his name is Jimmy Smith. Um, the rumor is he may get a chance to fill that void. Um, I do know that Tom Phillips can probably fill in pretty easily if they want to go that route. Um, the other guy that his name is escaping me that did a bunch of like 205 live shows for a while. Talk about I know. Big Joseph? Yes. Big Joseph is currently calling NXT, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying Vic Joseph would, you know, uh -huh. is the choice. Right. But, you know, if they needed a play-by-play -play guy tomorrow in a pinch, uh, Vic Joseph could do it short term. Yeah. Well, that's where we're going to get frustrated, though, because, like, Vic Joseph did get promoted to Raw, and then he got demoted. And then they were like, we're going back to Tom Phillips. And then Tom Phillips did an incredible job. And then they're like, oh, we'll, we'll, we're going to bring in Adnan Burke, and Tom Phillips can go ahead and fill in elsewhere. And it's like, Oh, now we're going to release Adnan Verk. And it's like, 
What's wrong with Tom Phillips that you just can't keep him there? He's doing an admirable job. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really frustrating because I love I, I, I think both of us can equally say that we love Tom Phillips as, you know, one of the leading voices of WWE. Like, listen, I love what Michael Cole and Pat McAfee are doing right now on SmackDown. Like Matt, Pat McAfee has exceeded all expectations. Let's let's be real. And then Corey Graves has been his absolute great self. And I know you hate Byron Saxton. But just like he equals it out over there and just put Tom Phillips back on commentary for Raw. It's not that hard. It's really not that hard. Before we end tonight's show, uh, the J-Man has a very important announcement, and it is a programming and life announcement uh, that he would like to make on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Um, So uh, Ross and I have been doing this show for... Uh, two and a half to more than two and a half years and we have had a fantastic time doing it um i have a few family things going on in my life that require my full and undivided attention um my life's going to be changing in uh probably about three or four weeks here once more and i'm very very much very excited for that um i will let everybody know of those particular news once it actually happens but uh, it is very important for me to state that uh, tonight is my last show on the double turn for, uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, I plan to hopefully be back at some point, either in perhaps August or September. Um, it sucks because I love this show um, and I look forward to that time of the week every single week. But, uh, you know, family is, very impo- family is very important to me. It's always been very important to me. And, you know, my family needs me uh, for these next few weeks. So uh, I got to make sure that I'm there for them um, in order for this show to be successful. Because without my family being successful, this show is not successful. And then Ross and I can't pull it off on a weekly basis. So once I get those things in order, uh, once the things happen that are supposed to happen in my life happen, um, I will be returning guns a blazing, making Ross's life a living hell in the best way possible. But for now, uh, tonight's going to be my last show for quite a bit of time. Um, Ross and I did make a promise to hops and box office flops that we were going to go ahead and team up and do the rundown episode in a couple of weeks and that will drop. So that'll be my last appearance on a pod for a bit, but, um, Ross is going to go ahead and take it on from here for, for, for the summer. And uh, I know that I'll miss you and I'll miss the show very much, but uh, I bet you these next, you know, couple months or a few weeks, however long it happens, are going to pass by really quickly. And I can't wait to make the phone call to Ross saying, Ross, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to roll. And I know that Ross is going to go ahead and have uh, tears in his eye of joy because he's going to be like, I missed you, buddy. And he'll finally admit that he loves me on this show. And uh, I'll be back sooner rather than later. But I just want to go ahead and take this time and just say uh, I appreciate everybody and um, can't wait to share that massive news with you guys once it, it, it all happens. Ross knows, but I'm going to keep it uh, you know, close to the chest until it actually happens. And uh, it's, you know, yeah, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I'll see you guys very, very, very soon, hopefully. Uh, so just to not not that that was uh, not heartfelt, and of course I, I I planned on ending on that note of the show, but I did have a caveat to kind of leave on a 
positive, happy note as well. Not that that's not positive news. I'm simply just trying to make a joke here. Um, I did tell him that because he is stepping away from the show, he had two options. And that was, and that was, he could either still give me pay-per-view choices or he could just accept defeat and just be, you know, succumb to his punishment of suffering through WCW 2000, which would include Nitros. And then on weeks where Nitros didn't happen, it would be my choice whether he watched a pay-per-view or a Thunder or something else, because I'm not going to make him watch best of shows. I'll torture him more than that. So uh, his choice was he is still going to make predictions for the pay-per-views. Um, so yes, he is going away from the show. Uh, he is a wrestling fan, so I anticipate he will at least keep tabs on what is going on. Uh, so he will still be making predictions. I will still have his predictions. I will still keep track of everything. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I fully anticipate, uh, I fully anticipate my lead being insurmountable by the time. Oh, you wish brother, you wish (laughs) if there's anything that I do plan on doing over the next, um, over the next uh, few months, besides taking care of my family, I'm going to find a way to completely whip your ass. And again, keep the crown that I heart that I fought for and I bled for in 2020, you know, mm. 2020 may have been a crappy year for everybody who was affected by COVID, but damn it. It was a good year for me when it came to predictions. Cause I smoked you in May. So again, I have to clarify. <laughs> I could, I conceded because I was w- smoking you. <laughs> no, because, 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 because WWE decided to be idiots. And I just, at that point, I was just like, okay, like the world's falling apart right now. I just don't care. So I'm just, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to take this seriously. Yeah. So, um, so I just conceded last year. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to, if you want to say you, you know, predicted a great year, at least you didn't pick Samoa Joe to win the title three times in one year. That's so, very true. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. So uh, next week's show. Yeah, what do you got? What do you got lined up, buddy? You know, I promised this last week, and I'm going to make sure I do it this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week's show is actually going to be. It's actually going to be an Impact Wrestling show. Really, completely, it or completely not, 100%. Wow, nice. A hundred percent. It. Uh, I've been. I've been. I've been teasing it uh, with the fact that I've been incessantly messaging you. Uh, different videos, different things about it. Uh, I'm actually going to take an in-depth look at the next big match for Impact Wrestling that involves Kenny Omega defending his TNA, or I should say his Impact World Championship against Moose and how perhaps that will impact the potential for if other people come into the promotion Mm-hmm. Um, Moose's contract situation, the fact that Kenny Omega is still the champion over for you know this little company called AEW and AAA, um, mind you. Yes, yeah. Uh, but there's some interesting moving parts, and this is a match that has a lot more consequences than people might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to take an in-depth look at the potential for Kenny Omega for Moose for impact for AEW. 
So that is the episode we are going to do next week as we take a look at uh, how we got here and where we come out of it from there. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a moment of impact week on this show. It's awesome from yours from from yours truly, and uh, we'll go from there because apparently I'm also running social medias, which I'm normally absolutely atrocious at. I'll probably be getting some guidance from Jorge yeah. on uh, everything on that front for. Uh, posting the shows, keeping up with you guys on social media, everything. We're not going away. It's just uh, going to be a little bit different and uh, a little more Boss Ross in your life, which, uh, you know, it's never a bad thing as far as I'm concerned. So what can I say? It's true. Um, r- real quick, I mean, it, uh, what's the name of that Impact show again That's, that uh, Moose versus Omega is going to be happening at? Uh, are you talking about the pay-per-view that it's yeah. going to happen at? Correct um why is the name escaping me right now i just saw it a second ago uh, i believe it's coming at against all odds against all odds okay that's perfect and i was just going to mention so not only do we have against all odds coming in a few weeks and then uh, uh this Seth- weekend is memorial day weekend which means uh double or nothing yes uh, at daily's place full crowd 5000 plus that's going to be awesome uh we got a triple tr- triple threat match for the AEW World Championship Kenny Omega defending against Pac and against uh, Orange Cassidy and then of course Kenny Omega is going to be defending the AAA World Championship in a few weeks time against Andrade um mm-hmm. I mean Kenny Omega's got a lot on his plate right now he's got a lot on his plate and I'm sure that he's going to be very successful in all three matches I think all matches all three matches are going to be absolute bangers um yeah it's just gonna be it's crazy times for all elite and crazy times for impact wrestling um and whatnot so i can't wait to see how it all unfolds over the summertime it's gonna be pretty excellent man and i can't wait to go ahead and hear you uh go off on impact next week it'll be a lot of fun i will be listening uh, i will be you know calling you out on any bs (laughs) long uh long overdue for me to do a impact centric show um, I think the last one I did was one of their big pay-per-views, not actually, that was a while ago. Uh, but we don't normally talk a lot of impact on this show. And I figured, uh, start things off right with, uh, an impact only show for this upcoming week. Maybe I'll touch on some other cool things going on in impact, like how Josh Alexander's running the X division. Freaking awesome. I love that guy. The walking weapon at which, uh, Ethan Page broke away from it, broke up the North. They've done nothing with him at AW. Trash. It's unbelievable. Absolute trash. And yet not unexpected. Anyway, yeah. that is going to do it for this show. Can I sign us off tonight? Can I have that you, honor? You you may have the honor since uh since uh you are not going to be on this show for uh, months. So go ahead and go All ahead right. and go ahead and take us home, brother. You got it, my man. Well, everyone, we want to thank you very much for listening. To tonight's episode please go ahead and check us out at the uh, at on instagram at the double turn podcast go ahead and check me out the one and only jman19 ross the real boss 85 on instagram check us out on twitter tdt wrestling pod that's tdt wrestling pod and of course you can go ahead and check boss ross out at boss ross tdt you can find this wonderful podcast on spotify itunes AKA Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Castbox, the Anchor app. Um, 
uh, what else? Tune in radio. Apparently we're on there too. So shout out to tune in radio. And of course, go check us out on wabamentertainment.com. Uh, Ross will be posting all of our episodes on there as uh, I have been doing the last few weeks. Um, and please go check out wabamentertainment.com. Uh, don't miss us on uh, hops and box office flops in a couple of weeks with uh, the thunderous wizard and captain cash and chumpzilla. Can't wait for that. And it's just, again, been an honor and a privilege guys. We'll go ahead. I'll catch you in a couple walk uh, in a few weeks. And uh, Boss Ross will catch you back next week. On behalf of Boss Ross, I have been the J-Man. This has been the Double Turn Podcast, and we will catch you guys on the flip side. Good night, everybody. Peace.